1: its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion.
2: Some kind of lovely ride, I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down, try not to try too hard. Welcome to
3: Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor.
4: Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. I am also the author of a newsletter, as I like to remind you each week. That newsletter is called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And my partners, Roger Wiegand and Chen Lin, also author two excellent newsletters roger weekends letter is trader tracks and chen Lin's uh... letter is what is chen buying and what is chen selling yes we uh, have named chen's newsletter what is chen buying and what is chen selling because of his spectacular track record how has he made so much money well people like to know and what chen has done is he's shared his wisdom his insights into the market with paid subscribers and it has worked out very, very well for his subscribers. And Chen is having another spectacular year this year. Roger and I both are having good years as well. It has been a good year for the resource sector, those who have been long in the markets. And Chen has been longer than most. He's certainly taken a more bullish attitude than I took. And it's paid off very, very well for him. Uh, but we're going to talk to Chen in just a couple of minutes. Uh, would also like to suggest that you take advantage of a one time only. Uh, first-time trial subscription to each of our newsletters. You can call Claudio Bossi at 718-457-1426. That's Claudio Bossi, my assistant. 718-457-1426 to learn more about those and sign up for those trial subscriptions. You can also do that by going to miningstocks.com. com I'd also like to suggest that you bookmark another website. And that is jtaylormedia.com. No triple W in front of that, just HTTP forward slash forward slash jtaylormedia.com. And that will take you to also to access those three newsletters. It will also give you easy access to the website that this news, that this radio show is on. Also, my face the analyst videos where I have interviewed uh, various CEOs of some, I think, very promising junior gold mining companies. And also a lot of different clips. I am a frequent guest on BNN, CNBC, and Fox business channels as well. So you can see what yours truly has been saying, what I've been telling my subscribers and, and people that listen in on and watch those shows. Uh, again, I want to thank each of you for listening to this show. You are the reason that we are the number one show by far on the uh, business channel of um, – uh... of this uh... network that we're working with voice america and i also of course want to thank our corporate sponsors for making this show financially viable without them i would not be able to talk to you nor more importantly would our excellent guests be able to pass along their wisdom and investment ideas to you well the sponsors for the first hour of today's show uh, of this uh, today's show is barkerville gold crocodile gold coral gold north atlantic resources American Bonanza, Pelangio Exploration, Mill Rock Resources, Revolution Resources, and Uranium Energy. Today's main guest is Frank Holmes of the US Global Investors. He manages a series of mutual funds through that firm and that US Global Investors is actually a public company that you can buy shares in. Frank always has some very unique ways of viewing the world and the markets that I find very useful. I'm not interested in the sort of thing you're going to find on CNBC on the mainstream media, but give me some new ideas, some fresh uh, thoughts uh, that are that are unique and Frank certainly will provide some of those for us today before we get to frank i'll be talking to wade dow he's the president and ceo of Brigus gold corp it's a new gold producer in ontario and one that i think appears to have great upside potential to produce more gold in the future and probably at lower cost as they ramp up uh... in the second hour today i'm going to be talking uh, after we finish with frank holmes i'll be talking to scott Waldy. he is the president and ceo of north atlantic resources another sponsor of this show uh, this North Atlantic Resources is a company with uh, some very exciting gold exploration properties in Mali, West Africa. And for some reason, the stock has jumped very nicely today. We're going to try to find out what is driving the share price up some 20% or so today from Scott wally when we talk to him. Finally, as usual, I will be speaking to my two newsletter partners, the ones I just mentioned. Roger Wiegand will join me at the very end of today's show for a uh, a view of last year, the markets last year, and where we're going next year. And right now, before we get to our next guest, I have with me Chen Lin. Chen, welcome again to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Thank you, Jay. It's uh, always, always, always good to have you with us. Uh you know, Chen, you and I were talking the other day about uh where do we think the markets are gonna go? And I've taken a more pessimistic view than you have. You've been right. You've been more optimistic, you believe that uh yes, we are in a bubble, but this bubble can keep going and will expand further and further. now I was just looking at some newsletters and people that I hold in fairly high esteem. Ian McAvitti, for example, in his wonderful newsletter called Deliberations, pointed out and showed a long term chart showing that we really are in a still in a secular bear market a secular bear market within that of course we've had some really good strong bull markets and we've been in one now since march of two thousand nine but clearly it looks as though we could be forming the right shoulder of a massive head and shoulders formation that could pretend for a huge decline also Dr. Robert McHugh, who I read, is now talking about a Hindenburg omen, again, a second one. uh, And he's looking at a 28% chance of a crash. That's based on historical Hindenburg omen data. And Robert Prechter was on Bloomberg today, on Bloomberg Radio today, talking about noting that we've seen some of the most optimistic views in 50 years in the market people are extremely bullish right now they think that the markets are going to keep on going up you know, we always tend to think that what we've experienced most recently is what's going to continue to occur well now you and I Chen, have talked about our, this bubble notion we both agree that the global economy I think we do that correct me if I'm wrong but I think we both believe that we are in a bubble economy but you believe that we could see another uh, another year or two of expansion in commodities and precious metals. Would you like to tell our listeners about your views on that?
5: Yes. Um, well, uh, most likely, mostly uh, the reason behind it is uh, there, there's a, a lot of cash on the sidelines. Uh, there are a lot of cash in the government bonds. Uh, so I think uh, they we start to see the money coming out of bonds in the past few months, only in the past few months. Uh, and then all the cash on the sideline, Bernanke just keep printing. So their money getting diluted every day. You know, every month it's, it's uh, 50 billion or something, or some some number uh, was printed every month. Because
6: mm-hmm. Big it. numbers.
5: Right, so so they're sitting there getting zero interest rate, and then their money getting diluted every day. So I think there's um, uh, pressure, okay, for investors. Uh, it's also fund manager to, to to be invested, and and also on the other side, you know, on the other side of the um, Pacific in China, there's a very very high inflation. Okay, inflation very high. People got panic. You know, be- there's um, all these people. They not now people using internet. They just just to try to find, see where you know the prices uh, still haven't raised price yet. So they go to the supermarket. They clean up the shelf. So, uh, so those uh, people buy stuff they need, you know. So, so those these things will push people to uh, to be more focused on hard asset, which is a uh, you know, commodity. So, I think at, um, in two thousand eleven coming, I see this year. Uh, I I can see that it can be a very good year for commodity.
4: So, so basically, you're seeing this this stretching out for a period of time yet, um, and into two thousand twelve. Is that right?
5: Yeah, I can see uh, potentially uh, 2011 is, uh, you know, bubble-blowing year. Um, it will continue to 2012. I don't know when they will end because very hard to predict the top. Yeah. Uh, but, but from all the different indicators, you know, I've I seen, for example, a uh, Chinese company, they're not making money, export company. They're not making money because all the wage increase, commodity input costs will increase. They already raised their sin. A margin, okay, raising, now it's for, uh, with currency appreciation. But so they're not making money, and there's a tendency. These people started to uh, to just speculate, uh, you know, because those companies, they can get a lot of loans, right? They can use the loans, and they just buy some commodity. I, I think it's just getting started, so, uh, so this can, can run something. It's self-feeding, you know, so it can run for, for, for quite some time
4: yeah so I guess what we're what we're talking about here is an inflationary psychology that is really taking over uh in china but but the Chinese authorities are very worried about this aren't they and and um do you think there's a chance they might clamp down or do you think they're just too afraid to clamp down
5: um because
4: of what it would do to the economy and and politically
5: right, right. they they i i think they um they don't have too much choice okay they they're just trying to uh contain it as much as they can. But then they need to continue to grow because the job market is deteriorating uh, there's a lot of people looking for jobs fighting for jobs uh so the government has to um, you know uh, have to keep the the employment going
4: okay, so I guess what the message is then for American investors is what we need to and your your view is that you need to stay long on this inflation play the uh the, the uh, the risk trade, as some people call it, or the expansion that's that's resulting from uh, Bernanke's uh, pumping of money and other central banks pumping money into the system, means that we have to mm-hmm. we have to stay long in these commodities and in the precious metals. Is that your basic uh, that's your basic read?
5: Yeah, I, I can see. You know, 2011 can be um, a spectacular year of, for commodities, even better than 2010.
4: Well, and 2010 has been a, a very, very good year for you, Chen. Congratulations on another successful year. Uh, we look to have you back, of course. Um, well, we got one more show before the end of the year. If you're available, we'll, we'll certainly our listeners will want to hear what you have to say. But uh, congratulations again. And, uh, Chen, um, we'll talk to you again in the very near future next week, hopefully. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back uh, in just a few minutes with Wade Dow, uh, the president and CEO of Brigas Gold. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
7: Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy
1: opportunity. Pass by.
8: American Bonanza Gold's project, located in Arizona, is scheduled for production in 2010. American Bonanza Gold announced the positive results of its recent feasibility study at its 100% owned Copperstone Gold Mine. The mine is estimated to produce an average of 45,000 ounces of gold annually. At the current spot gold price, this will result in an IRR of 120%. Join the gold bull market. Invest in American Bonanza Gold. Visit the website at AmericanBonanza.com for more exciting information. Don't miss this great opportunity.
1: The high-risk but high-reward business of mineral exploration is key to discovery and development of America's next generation of mines. A leader in this search is Millrock Resources. Based in Anchorage, Millrock is revealing the astounding potential for gold deposits in the Alaska frontier. In Arizona, the target is giant hidden porphyry copper deposits. Financing this search are joint venture partners Tech, Ballet, Inmet, Kinross, and Eldias, major industry players. Together, the aim is discovering world-class gold and copper deposits To help secure America's productive future, investors can share in the potential rewards. Millrock trades on the TSX Venture Exchange, symbol MRO. Revolution Resources Corp. is a publicly trading exploration company that trades under the symbol RV on the TSX Exchange. Led by an experienced management team with a track record for discoveries, Revolution has initiated drilling on the company's newly acquired Champion Hills Gold Project in North Carolina. Revolution is focused on making a world-class discovery in an established gold belt, and with over $5 million in the treasury, Revolution is effectively positioned to do so. Please visit
6: www.revolutionresourcescorp.com for further information. As regular listeners to this show know, I am very bullish on gold, and especially gold mining stocks. One of my favorite gold mining companies is Metanor Resources, traded Toronto and the Pink Sheets. This is a new gold producer. It is using cash flows from its Berry mine in Quebec to finance growth of that mine and to put the world-famous Quebec Bachelor Lake mine back into production. This stock has been recommended by my newsletter because I do believe it holds extraordinary upside price potential with relatively low levels of risk. Visit Metanor's website at metanor.ca or subscribe to my newsletter for more information
1: when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network try not
2: to try too hard it's just a love
3: taylor at gmail.com sign up for jay's newsletter jay taylor's gold energy and tech stocks at www.miningstocks.com now back to our program
4: welcome back to turning hard times the good times i am your host jay taylor well, i'm really pleased to have with me wade dow he is the president and ceo of brigas gold wade's been with us before brigas is a sponsor to this show uh, Brigus is also a recommendation of my newsletter, J Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. The company is a it, it's among a growing number of new gold producers in this bull market, which I've been saying I believe is the bull market uh, for gold mining of a lifetime. Brigus is producing gold in Ontario, and this is a company that I happen to think has a very good long term potential to grow uh, from organically from its exploration projects, and uh, we hope to talk to Wade about that in just a minute or two. Briga's trades on the Toronto Exchange under the symbol BRD, also in the U.S. under the same symbol. There is approximately 181 million shares outstanding, or will be after a new financing is undertaken or is closed in the next few days recent price of around $1.90, that gives the company a market cap of around $340 million. Well, welcome, Wade, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times.
9: Hi, Jay. Thank you for having me.
4: Really good to have you again. uh, Talking to you today, I guess, from from Nova Scotia, uh, a beautiful part of Canada. I've been there and enjoyed uh, that part of the world uh, on a couple of occasions anyway. Uh, Wade, uh, during the third quarter, you reported uh, some pretty good numbers. You increased your production um, and reported an operating income of $7.1 million. Uh, can you tell our listeners how you've managed to improve uh, your operations? We, um, we have a mine operating in
9: Ontario, the Black Fox Mine. It's been operating since May of 2009, and um, the so far this year, the production has primarily been from the open pit portion of the mine. We're currently developing the underground. Uh, the open pit's been for, been performing well. Um, cash flows uh, increased quarter over quarter um, during 2010, and um, we've also had rising operating income. In fact, in the third quarter, as you indicated, we had an operating income of $7.1 million. So it's been going well. Um, we've made uh, some operational improvements on the ground and uh uh we brought in some specific technical expertise uh to assist in the production uh methods and uh, it's been it's been definitely bearing fruit so we feel very good about the future of the open pit portion of the mine and now uh with the underground coming on stream uh in quarter 1 2011 we'll have two aspects of this particular mine operating we'll have both the open pit and the underground producing gold
4: How much gold do you expect to produce uh, this year, and how much did you produce, in fact, during the third quarter?
9: In uh, in 2010, we'll produce a total of approximately 73,000 ounces of gold. In the third quarter, we had a very good quarter. Uh, We produced uh, well over 20,000 ounces. Um, In 2011, the the production will grow from uh, from 73,000 this year to uh, approximately 73,000 this year. Uh, next year will be over 100,000 ounces. Our, our guidance is um, for production of 102,000 ounces to 112,000 ounces. So we are indeed a growth company with growing production and cash flow. So uh, 2011 we expect will be a very good year for the company.
4: Wait. could you tell us what you expect your operating costs to be? Uh, What were they during the third quarter? Uh, What what do you expect they'll be for the year? And then what do you expect they'll be for 2011?
9: During during the third quarter, the the cash cost per ounce was was $440 US per ounce, so a very good uh, cash cost. Um, When the underground portion of the mine um, comes on stream. The cash cost will be somewhat higher. Uh, It's normal to have a higher cash cost when you produce ores from the underground. So essentially, uh, in 2011, as the number of ounces that we produce increases, uh, the cost on a per ounce basis will go up somewhat marginally. Um, Our projection for cash cost for all of 2011 Is, uh, is, is, uh, between 550 and 600 dollars per ounce of gold. So the, the production will go from 73,000 ounces to north of 100,000 ounces and the cash cost will move up, uh, approximately 20 to 25 percent to between 550 and 600 dollars per ounce.
4: Well, I can remember a few years ago, Wade, when $500 uh, wouldn't do much for you for profit-wise, but when you're looking at a thirteen, fourteen dollars $1,400 gold price, it's a pretty nice margin in a $550 or $600 cost. We'd like to ask you, uh, though you did report an operating profit, uh, you're still negative on the accounting side. I think you reported a, an accounting loss of $12 million for the third quarter, you expect then with this growing production to be able to actually show some accounting profits in 2011 perhaps?
9: What's really interesting um, about, the, um, about the accounting loss that was reported in the, in the uh, third quarter is the fact that that particular loss was on a non-cash basis. Mm-hmm. In other words, it was as a result of specific accounting methods that are used in, in our industry. Um, Burgess Gold had a hedge book uh, a sizable hedge book uh, that, that would have been in effect for the next three years. So because um, because of that hedge book, as the price of gold is rising in the international market, the uh, the loss, the non-cash loss that we must record with a hedge book increases as the price of gold increases, although it has no effect whatsoever on our cash or on our actual cash profit or loss. Uh, now, the good news is that we have now eliminated that hedge book. The hedge book has been completely eliminated. Uh, we've eliminated it in the last few months. So those non-cash losses will no longer uh, apply, resulting from, they'll no longer be reported, resulting from um, accounting methods for the hedge book because we have eliminated uh, the hedge. So that's good news. Moving forward, the uh, reporting on a quarterly basis will be will be much cleaner uh, uh, no, with, uh, with not having to report non-cash gains or losses depending on movements in the gold price. So we're quite happy that 2011 will be unhedged and we'll have, um, I guess, uh, financial statements that won't be impacted by uh, movements in the price of gold.
4: Mm-hmm. So that should definitely help you then on the on the accounting side. It it seems a bit strange in a way, doesn't it, Wade? I mean, you're what we're really looking at is an opportunity cost, I guess. If shareholders or the, the, the accountants are requiring you to report as if uh, as if you were the difference between what you would get in the market and what you got on your hedge price, and uh, that, so it's uh, it's really no skin off your nose or off the uh, or cash flow out of the company. It's just uh, an accounting gimmick, and it. So that's very good. Now you told me before we started talking here that um, uh, that you're basically before you took the hedge off, you uh, had about only about 50% exposure to the upside for gold. Now that hedge has increased uh, to what level? I think you said 80% or 90% something like that.
9: Yeah, we had um, for 2010, 11, 12, and part of 13, we did have a hedge book, and essentially because of that hedge book, our company was not uh, fully exposed to rising gold prices, so as the gold price was rising, we were delivering gold into, um, basically we were selling our gold at a lower price because it was, it was essentially sold two years ago at a lower, at a lower gold price at that time. So that's, in essence, what, what the hedge book did, it, it forced the company to sell its gold or a portion of its gold, about 50%, um, at a lower price. So we were 50% exposed to rising gold prices. Now, what we've been very successful in doing in the last quarter is paying off that hedge book. So it's, it's now been eliminated, and we did something a little creative. We, 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 we sold um, a gold stream on a portion of our gold, so instead, of the, for the next three years, Instead of being 50% exposed to rising gold prices, we are now 88% exposed. So we have more exposure to rising gold prices in a strong gold market. And, um, and not only does it help our accounting, as, as mentioned earlier, it also will dramatically increase our cash flow and our profitability on a real basis. So we are uh, we're quite enthusiastic and, and pleased that we were successful in paying down the hedge book earlier than uh, would originally have happened.
4: Well, I'm aware of your um, uh, the company you entered into that agreement with to sell that stream of, of um, gold production. Uh, Sandstorm is a company that I follow in my newsletter. I know that I know those people when they get involved in a company really do their due diligence, and it's uh, it's an added bit of comfort from my perspective to know that Sandstorm is in there with you because it shows uh, to me it tells me that these guys are very very convinced that you're going to have a successful operation and also. Uh, I know them personally. I know the management of that company. And I also know that they look very carefully at the growth prospects because they would like to get some of that upside. So they see obviously a lot of growth there in Ontario on the Black Fox. Could you just talk to us a little bit about the, uh, the exploration potential uh, on your Black Fox property and surrounding properties?
9: Well, first, I guess I totally agree with you with respect to Sandstorm. It's a well-run company. It's led by a gentleman. His name is Nolan Watson. He's a talented individual, and it's definitely a company that uh, I believe will do very well in the in the coming years. So, I would agree with your sentiment with respect to Sandstorm and their management. <clears throat> they are an excellent partner uh, for uh, for Briggis Gold moving forward. In terms of um, in terms of um, the upside um, on our property. Uh, currently, we have, um, you know, we're mining. Um, we're mining. Next year, we'll do, as I indicated, over 100,000 ounces of gold. But what's really interesting um, is the exploration upside. There are. Um, when you look at a gold company, you know, it's important to look at annual production and growing production, which we have. It's important to look at cash flow and the growth, the potential to grow that cash flow. But one of the most important things, and one of the most important metrics in, in valuing a company such as ours is the company's ability to replace the gold that's being mined on an, on an annual basis through exploration and also to increase uh, those ounces um, through targeted exploration and you know I'm confident that is what Sandstorm saw in our ore body is the fact that the ore body is open at depth and uh, it's open along strike and uh, it's also there, are, there are, are in addition to that there are, uh, there are targets on the property, which, um, which present tremendous exploration potential. In fact, we've been releasing drill results over the last few months um, on those new targets. Um, so in 2011, what you will see is um, drilling occurring on the ore body itself, which is open uh, for expansion, and you'll also see drilling um, on the new discoveries that we've made on the Black Fox Complex. Those uh, discoveries, uh, one of them is called a Contact Zone and uh, the second discovery is called the, Gib- the Gibson Shear Zone. So I'm very confident in 2011 that we will continue to have success with the drill bit, that we will continue to expand uh, the size of the, of the, of the uh, ore body at Black Fox through targeted drilling, and also uh, I'm confident that we'll continue to drill these new target areas and have success with the drill bits. So that is uh, that is definitely a growth opportunity for our company. It's definitely an opportunity for the future that we can uh, continue to to add ounces uh, to our balance sheet for the benefit of uh, the company for future production and 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 to extend the mine life. Uh, so it's uh, it's it's definitely a uh, a real bright spot for the company moving forward.
4: Wade, we only have a couple of minutes left, but. Uh... Ontario isn't the only place you're operating you are also uh, have an advanced stage project uh, in Saskatchewan Could you comment on that briefly
9: we have a, um, a property in Saskatchewan in northern Saskatchewan that we, we will um, we're in the process of, uh, of um, finalizing the the plans for development for, for, the, for that deposit um, right now we're targeting production for 2013. Uh, Once the mine is up and running, it will produce at a steady state uh, of between 70 and 75,000 ounces ounces of gold per year. That will bring our total production uh, close to 200,000 ounces of gold annually, Mm -hmm. essentially uh, moving Briggs Gold to mid-tier status. Um, We are are doing desktop work at present. We hope to begin uh, development and construction of, of the mine in the spring. And uh, we expect that we'll be able to fund a significant portion of the development of that property from cash flow generated from the Black Fox mine. So mm-hmm. it's, um, the, uh, the Saskatchewan property will, will, be, um, will, will help us fuel the growth of the company.
4: Can you give our listeners a sense of what your cost of production might be, or is it a little too early to say there?
9: The feasibility study um, called for uh, cash costs for the, for the first eight years to be under $400 per ounce, but we're modeling $425, so we're, we're taking a slightly more conservative approach. Uh, I'm sure there's been some cost uh, you know, in, in increases in the last few years since the feasibility was done. So I would anticipate it will, uh, it will certainly be under $500 per ounce, which would be a very good cash cost for, for that particular mine. Uh, we have low-cost power, uh, hydropower, it's clean hydropower. Uh, located right there in, in northern Saskatchewan. We have a a mining friendly jurisdiction, a very supportive government. Uh, there's active uh, labor force in the area so it's a, it's a very good situation and uh, we're looking forward to uh, to um, uh, you know uh, developing that property and getting it into production.
4: I can't let you go before I ask you about the Dominican Republic. I know that you have an interest there, a joint venture interest down there with another junior that we follow uh, in my newsletter. Any news coming from there? Are we going to see some drill results sometime soon?
9: Well, what Briggs has done, uh, we've decided to focus our energy and our effort and our resources, our, our financial resources on Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we have the Black Fox mine and the Saskatchewan, the Goldfields property in Saskatchewan. And what we did, uh, Jay, uh, we made a decision to joint venture some of the exploration properties that we had in, in the company, and we have three in the Dominican Republic, and they're they're joint ventured with a quality exploration company uh, called Everton Resources. Everton is uh, led by Andre O'Day, and um, right now um, Everton has earned a uh, a 50% stake in all three of our properties, and they have to re- they have the right to earn. Uh, up to a 70% stake in, in those properties. Uh, so they would be the majority owner, but we are left with a 30% stake, and right now we're carried, so Everton is spending the money, and, uh, for, and in turn, for doing that, they, uh, they, they have a majority interest. What's really interesting is that, uh, the, the, the core property there, it's called Amplación Pueblo Viejo. It's located directly adjacent to a mine that's in production, owned by Barrett Gold, and Goldcorp, and uh, there's well over 20 million ounces of gold in that in that ore, ore body. So Everton are currently drilling some real interesting targets adjacent to uh, Pueblo Viejo uh, on our our property called Amplacion Pueblo Viejo, and uh, they're actively drilling. They have uh, good mineralization at surface, and uh, it's exploration. There's certainly risk, but uh, the upside is tremendous if if they are successful with the drill bit. Uh, they're doing a, a systematic exploration effort, they're testing numerous targets, and we're very hopeful that uh, in the coming months that there will be some uh, good news flow. Uh, we have to wait and see what the assays bear, but uh, there's certainly potential, and uh, hopefully uh, Everton will find a, a new gold deposit on the property.
4: Mm-hmm. Well, it certainly would be some frosting on the cake of Regis shareholders. and. Without any uh, cash flow out, uh, cash flowing out from uh, from the company right now as uh, as Everton earns in. Well, that's really all the time we have. Any any last thoughts uh, before we conclude our discussion today?
9: Wade? Well, I'd like to, uh, I guess, uh, thank you for your time. But also, I want to wish your listeners a happy holidays and uh, and uh, all the best in two thousand and eleven. We're looking forward to two thousand and eleven as we ramp up our production. And uh, all those gold investors out there, I wish everyone the very best.
4: Well, thank you very much, Wade, and the same goes from us to you as well. Well, that's all the time we have now, but don't go away, because Coming up next will be Frank Holmes. He's the CEO and Chief Investment Officer of U.S. Global Investors. Don't go away. I'll be right back.
10: Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new
7: gold producer with bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity. Pass by.
3: Briggis Gold is a growing gold producer with expected production of about 85,000 ounces of gold this year from its Black Fox mine in the Timmins Gold District in Canada. Next door to Black Fox, Brigus has the exciting Gray Fox Pike River Gold Project. Brigus is also advancing its gold fields project in Saskatchewan, Canada, and its promising exploration projects in Mexico and the Dominican Republic. All of its gold assets are in low-risk operating jurisdictions. Consider Brigus as your gold investment choice. Brigus is listed on the MX and TSX under the symbol BRD. American
8: Bonanza Gold's project, located in Arizona, is scheduled for production in 2010. American Bonanza Gold announced the positive results of its recent feasibility study at its 100% owned Copperstone Gold Mine. The mine is estimated to produce an average of 45,000 ounces of gold annually. At the current spot gold price, this will result in an IRR of 120%. Join the gold bull market. Invest in American Bonanza Gold. Visit the website at AmericanBonanza.com for more exciting information. Don't miss this great opportunity.
1: Revolution Resources Corp. is a publicly trading exploration company that trades under the symbol RV on the TSX Exchange. Led by an experienced management team with a track record for discoveries, Revolution has initiated drilling on the company's newly acquired Champion Hills Gold Project in North Carolina. Revolution is focused on making a world-class discovery in an established gold belt, and with over $5 million in the treasury, Revolution is effectively positioned to do so. Please visit www.revolutionresourcescorp.com for further information.
10: America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
2: Try not to try too hard. It's just to love mirror.
3: Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program.
4: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into the Good Times. Uh, I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really privileged to have with me today Frank Holmes. He's our featured guest this week. Frank heads up the uh, U.S. Global Investors. Uh, It's a public company that manages several mutual funds, and we hope to get into some of those mutual funds. Let Frank tell us about those. Uh, it uh, the the U.S. Global Investors trades on the Nasdaq under the symbol G R O W, and last I checked earlier today, was selling at about eight dollars and ten cents or so. Uh, Frank Holmes has been on our show before; he's no stranger to anybody that's uh, really paying a lot of attention to what's going on in the uh, in America and in the investment community. Certainly, Frank is a frequent guest on CNBC and all the major networks. Uh, Frank Holmes, uh, as I said, is the CEO and Chief Investment Officer of U.S. Global Funds. Uh, it specializes in natural resources, precious metals, emerging markets. Uh, as chief investment officer of the U.S. Global Funds, uh, Frank has, oversees, has overseen investment, an investment team whose mutual funds have won dozens of awards, two dozen in fact, by the Lipper Fund Awards and uh, certificates uh, since 2000. Uh, the year 2000. Uh, Frank was selected as the 2006 Mining Fund Manager of the Year, uh by mining journal. It's a leading publication for the global natural resource industry. He is also the co author of the Gold Watcher, Demystifying Gold Investing. He is engaged in a number of international philo- philanthrop philanthropies. Uh, and is member uh, is a member of the of the president's circle on the investment committee of International Crisis Group, and works to resolve conflict around the world. He is also an advisor to the William J. Clinton Foundation on sustainable development in countries with resource-based economies. Welcome, Frank, to turning hard times into good times. It's great to be here. great to have you again uh you also uh i think uh have uh, if correct me if I'm wrong, but i believe I've heard that you've uh, perhaps been awarded a couple of more uh a couple of more awards that you won for performance this year. your uh, gold funds have been spectacular. they've done extremely well uh, right at the top. Could you talk about that just a little bit? We'll give you a chance to boast just a bit Frank before we get into the to the meat of today's discussion. Well, it's talking about the company at the beginning. At the beginning it just says it's G-R-O-W
11: on NASDAQ. And uh, it's become a, um, a go-to stock to participate, a domestic company to participate in the growth in emerging markets and the needs for resources. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the most unique part of what, how we run our company is very much how we pick stocks. And that is looking for growth in revenue, um, uh, sustainable profit margins, uh, higher than average returns on capital and dividends. And so we pay a monthly dividend, uh, which is higher than the 10 year uh, government notes.
12: Mm. Even
11: though you re- yields have gone from 236 to um, 330, 350 range in that area, you still have a dividend yield. And uh, uh, that's what I think is the most interesting part in um, where you can get growth on the upside and still participate. Mm. Uh, employees all own it. Uh, it's a very much a focused. Uh, you no, know, lots of stock options being given out. We don't do that type of stuff, and uh, it's about uh, shareholder ownership, and that's the same thing which we do with our funds. So no. the fund managers see half of their bonus goes into the fund for them,
12: mm-hmm.
11: Mm-hmm. and um, and they can't they can't liquidate it while they work here. They have to own it. Uh-huh. Uh, and it keeps them invested and with the spirit and the interest of the shareholders. Uh, markets go down, they go down with it, and they have the true the operative word, skin in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so with that, uh, 97% of my wealth overnight is tied up in my funds and grow. Mm-hmm. So I'm very focused living this dream of uh, the growth in emerging markets and the need for resources to build up their infrastructure
4: hmm Well, certainly I like to see that, Frank, in companies that, that I cover in my newsletter. I like to see companies that have management Having some skin in the game, it gives them a, obviously a vested interest in the performance of the company, and not just their salaries and so forth. So that, I think that's that's most important. You mentioned you're concerned about dilution, and that's another thing that I like to hear. It's you know you know the mining sector, the junior mining sector especially, uh, and how easy it is to to, uh, to issue shares and dilute the early investors out of existence in essence. But you're very careful. How many shares outstanding? It's a number I didn't get before we went on the show. much fifteen out- million. How much? 15
12: million 15 okay yeah so, so we're are so looking at a, at a
4: really relatively low market cap and and uh, that's very important to, for investors to to realize. I think those are all very important factors. Well, let's, let's get into a little bit of some of the things that you're talking about. Frank, I was looking over a your discussion at the San Francisco show back, back in November. That's not too long ago, so hopefully these issues are very current, and I think they are long-term trends that you're talking about. You started out by talking about the S-curve. Could you tell our listeners what is the S-curve and what's the importance of that? Well, S-curve showed up quite a bit in the 90s,
11: of trying to explain new technology, in um, the same thing, this, this curve shows up in populations. It shows up in dynamic changes. And, and big money is made when you understand the S-curve. Uh, And the big question with that big money is where are you on that curve? You can look at a country, you can look at an industry, and you can look at a stock uh, with the hottest new product. If you went back eight years ago with Apple, uh, they were early on that S-curve, that big change taking place. Uh, And so what we like to try to explain to investors is is this process of how we identify macro and micro and we use a series of quantitative and fundamental models, and, and we look at socioeconomic changes and trying to plot where we are in the world on the S-curve. And what we believe you're seeing is, is that um, on the upside is, is the growth in commodities is going to continue because of the sh- major shifts in population growth and China and India, and other countries that are embracing free markets um, and building infrastructure out are putting a big
4: demand on the need for commodities. So where are we? I think we're halfway through this S-curve. Interesting, and we've had a a pretty good run already. Well, Frank, let me ask you on the S-curve, then, do you apply it? The other um, visual,
11: just to help you, is is the 6 billion people tipping point, is a visual that people go to our website, usfunds.com, they can um, see this uh... uh... presentation called flying at fifty thousand feet around the world but we go back jay to uh... nineteen the crash of nineteen twenty nine was only two billion people so you know fast track forward and we land on the moon nineteen sixty nine nineteen seventy that period we're now at three billion so the world's population doubles from one to two billion people mm-hmm. during this period mm-hmm. but by by the year two thousand y two k you know you 've gone for, sorry from two billion to three billion uh, in one thousand nine hundred and seventy you 're now at six billion mm-hmm. well today, ten years later the world 's population is seven billion people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so it 's putting that in context of what are the government policies of this big shift in population growth mm-hmm. and what does that mean to the demand side uh, and the supply side? Uh, for people to be fed, for people to be clothed, for people to communicate and drive around. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly and I think that's I, the big picture.
4: I, yeah, I would, I would definitely uh, recommend that people go to your website and, and view this. In fact, this is I'm looking at the copy of the uh, viewing view of flying at fifty thousand feet right now, Frank, and I'm looking at exactly that slide you talked about. It sort of in, uh, sort of suggests that there's an inflection point at Y two K. Is that what you're saying, or is or is that growth curves? Uh, in the same direction. In the I, same... I show that because it's actually the tipping point for the
11: top of the S curve for the technology media boom. Okay, and so there were there throughout the, the decade of the '90s, we had a huge S curve on uh, the build out of the internet highway. Uh, deregulation of telecommunications industry, wiring the world with global crossings and all the, the sort of infrastructure build out and uh, and that was the, basically the top to that cycle uh, and then what takes place um, as I try to show a couple other visuals there 's some significant tipping points when the world goes through three billion people that all of a sudden China uh, embraces capitalism at the same time mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. so you, you, you get these these points that are, that are important. And then if you take a look when the oil took off uh, through $35 a barrel, it's when the emerging markets, uh, including the Middle East, all of a sudden their share of global GDP, mm-hmm. it, uh, it surpassed the U.S. And that came so, with the
4: liberalization of markets uh, of, towards more market pro-market economies, I guess, in China and elsewhere. Correct. And so that created um, a sort of an S curve there on the need for
11: these, for energy. And and a real interesting part, we published this a couple weeks ago, is that the demand for oil is back to 2007 levels. Is that right? Wow. So most of this is growth as the OECD. And uh, one of the other things I try to explain to people is not just the rise of sheer population growth. The subset is the middle class, which we Mm -hmm. saw in the movie Slumdog Millionaire. Mm -hmm. And that's another S-curve being formed. Mm -hmm. And what's important to recognize there is that you have the whole population of California making the same amount of money as the average California
4: in China now. Mm -hmm. So you do
11: have a big middle class.
4: Well, and it's growing very rapidly still, though. That would still be a fairly small percentage of the total Chinese population, would it not, Frank? Oh, yeah. It's just like 2%. Yeah. And so, so you see that's, that's all you continuing. need to have is that two
11: percent making that and they become of an important demand part of the curve. Mm-hmm. And so I try to point out this in a couple of the visuals for um for readers and listeners that it's recognizing this big picture and the world distribution of income. So if you go back uh you can see that um as the world's population shift and middle class has shifted the average person making more than $5,000 a year, that's grown dramatically, like hundreds yeah. of millions of people.
4: Absolutely. Okay. That's slide 8, actually. I'm looking at it right now, Frank. It is a, a very, very uh, very clear illustration of that shift. One, I just wanted to ask you about this S-curve again. Do, do you apply that to individual companies as well?
11: We do, and you can see that on, on, on the left side of a mine. You get the yeah. S-curve.
4: Okay. So what you're trying to do is catch it right before, as it starts, it's descent. Uh, and then, and then sort of figure out when it's when it reaches an inflection point, and then maybe that's an exit point, or at least you're looking to reallocate some resources in some other direction, looking for the next growth on the next S curve. That's a nice way to put it, and it shows up in that other visual. Uh, you can see that S
11: curve where America is at the top of that, mm-hmm. and that is GDP uh, per capita. Right. And and then you can see where China and India, they're at the bottom left hand of that curve. On. Mm-hmm. Uh, income per person. Mm-hmm. So there's a long way to go for uh Chindia and uh other countries in that region. So if they if they continue this, this this demand, uh this growth, then we're going to witness consumption. And so there's been lots of negativity, China's overbuilding and et cetera, et cetera. And um and so we sit back and, and question even those that have got an axe to grind. But it has nothing to do with consumption of oil. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, who's consuming the oil? Where they consuming the oil for? Yeah. And And uh, when you go to those countries, the roads are packed. So on a regular chance that I go through, I remember 15 years ago that uh, I would get hit by bicycles on my jobs in <laughs> Beijing, Shanghai. Today, there are no bicycles. It's all cars. So I don't run in the roads anymore <laughs> uh, any longer. And so it's um, uh, it's just important to recognize these big changes. Uh, one of the other things that we do, uh, Jay, I think it's, it's different, is, is how we try to take complexity and simplify it. Uh, you, as your son is a computer programmer, mm-hmm. so he does everything in binary zeros and ones to write mm-hmm. those programs. Mm-hmm. So we try to take and create a triangle, but everything's done in, in binary code. And when we look at government policy as a precursor to change, well, government policy is either monetary or fiscal. Mm -hmm. And then a monetary policy is interest rates and money supply. Mm -hmm. Fiscal policy is tax and spend. Mm -hmm. And then it's individuals and corporations. So one can turn around and create a simple way of looking at very complex parts and to try to take this this sort of complexity and simplify it to a binary code. We said everyone knows about the G7. The G7 are basically 53% of the world's economy, uh, but only 11% of the population. Right. Well, let's take a look at the E7. What are the seven most populated countries in the world, not the seven most uh, uh, economic significant countries. And what we get is the inverse, basically 50% of the world's population and uh, uh, 18% of global GDP. And I think that uh, it's important then to work backwards and say, okay, what are the monetary policies of the, of the E7 countries versus the G7, mm-hmm. and what are their taxing and spending, their fiscal policies of the E7 versus the G7. Mm-hmm. And if you have uh, incomes rising for 50% of the world's population from a low base, and you have policies for job creation, then you have a huge economic engine that's very sustainable. Mm-hmm. That's how we look at this.
4: Mm-hmm. Well certainly Frank and this is on slide 11 on your on your presentation I'm looking at it right now it is it is a dramatic difference and so the question is um let's talk about policy uh... monetary policy in the u.s. for example or let's say the advanced countries the g seven countries where you've had enormous amounts of debt that's been issued and we're and we're facing huge problems right now and virtually all of these countries as i look at them save germany perhaps looks to be in good shape but even in the last day or two we've heard talk about france could be in trouble all of these countries have gone into debt to such extent to such an extent we have seemingly lived beyond our means to such an extent and now we have uh, the specter of bailouts, you know, Bernanke printing endless amounts of money to bailout institutions that are in trouble. Uh, you have, you know, so- socialism in one form or another being being expanded in the U.S. I mean, do you see, uh, do you see the West or the G7, the advanced countries, losing, uh, let's say, living standards, having reduced living standards while the, uh, while the emerging countries... Uh, expand and grow and gain living standards, or do you think that we can both rise or or that we can stay more or less where we are in the G7 countries?
11: Well, I think that there has to be some um, policy changes. Uh, There's a lot of focus on the monetary. I think that, um, uh, from my own opinion, is doing an amazing job in light of what Congress keeps coming up with fiscal policies. Mm -hmm. and trying to keep everyone, give them a life jacket so no one drowns. That's what he's trying to do. You know, uh, if you take a look at the money supply, opened up in, in 08 to get the economies going, um, and before the big, uh, before the huge uh, deficit spending basically took place with it, and then March of this year he was contracting, and the first part of this year he was contracting money supply, his economy was starting to turn, turn positive, and he opened up the, the, the window. Actually, quantitative easing started in April, when. Um, uh, White House went after uh, Wall Street with financial reform. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and I'll tell you, he would have, I think he would have had a double dip for sure had he not opened up uh, the gates yeah. because uh, you saw the financial stocks and then the rest of the world unraveled until uh, May. And right. our, our models show, our statistical models and macro themes, takes about six weeks of money supply. If it's rising to get the stock market going, it takes about six months to get the economy going, vice versa, opposite. So it can contract the same way. So we monitor money supply every week, and we compare the E7. It comes up, most of the E7 come up monthly. In the May of the G7, you can get weekly data, especially for the U.S., and you get an idea where the trend is. Uh, I think the the biggest concern is the fiscal policy of social investing versus social welfare. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's more concern on the minimum wage than there is on a job and a wage. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, there's more concern on f- uh, food stamps uh, than there is on social investing to create sustainable jobs.
12: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
11: And mm-hmm. Uh, so... With that, you're seeing, um, both you see this in Europe and you see it here, a, a government that uh, that appears to be, with good intentions according to much of the media, but it, it comes across as being intrusive in people's lives, predatory, and stalking people. Mm-hmm. And um, and sure, there's always bad people everywhere, but I think the best metaphor that I've had to that, in listening to people and traveling across the country and comparing to the rest of the world is what happens on a highway. Uh, is very similar to your body. If you have blockage of blood in your body, the immediate thing is to get the blood flowing through your body. If you don't, uh, do that to your feet, you'll get diabetes, or diabetes, your feet will fall off. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have a heart problem, they've got to open it up and get the, and not, not literally, but they have to the get pillories to open up so the blood flows freely. Mm-hmm. Uh, a car accident on the highway is immediately get an ambulance in a tow truck and get the cars off the road so that the speed of the road can maintain itself at 60 miles an hour. Yeah. What's okay. happening now is that every time there's a car accident, there's a speed bump put up there.
4: Right, yeah. Well, rather, rather than know, saying, okay, the, get the, the ambulance in, talked... get
11: them off and, and uh, get the economy going, it's, it's, so this becomes a regulatory part that's been brought up that the regulatory costs are now $8,000 per
4: person. Right. Well, that, so what you're saying is the regulations, are we overly regulated now, and is that what's causing the blood to flow through our veins and cause the economy to grow and expand and create real sustainable jobs? Is that what you're saying? No, I'm saying that
11: that's probably one of the issues is, is that you cannot expect a highway system to function uh-huh. with if you don't get the car wrecks off the road. And, and you go after the individual bad driver if that was the issue, uh, and you try to, who's ever been injured, you try to get into a hospital, but you don't turn around and, and create a new rule and a speed bump across the road that affects every other car. And so if from... there's some hedge fund guys that are bad dudes, you go after them. You've yeah. got to do that. Yeah. You must do that. And if there's some bad uh, uh, technology companies that are allegedly um, uh, uh, sharing information, then you do go after them. But it doesn't mean you have to create a rule for everyone else.
4: Okay, Frank, uh, we're going to, uh, we're gonna have to take a break issue. now. We've... Excuse me, Frank, we got a, uh, a commercial break coming up and we're going to have you come back for a few minutes after the break. I want to talk about some of your funds and, and a whole lot more uh, with the remaining time we have. Folks don't go away. we'll be right back with Frank Holmes.
10: The business community's first choice in Internet talk
1: radio, Voice America Business Network. The high-risk but high-reward business of mineral exploration is key to discovery and development of America's next generation of mines. A leader in this search is Millrock Resources. Based in Anchorage, Millrock is revealing the astounding potential for gold deposits in the Alaska frontier. In Arizona, the target is giant hidden porphyry copper deposits. Financing this search are joint venture partners Peck, Ballet, Inmet, Kinross, and Eldias, major industry players. Together, the aim is discovering world-class gold and copper deposits to help secure America's productive future, investors can share in the potential rewards. Rock trades on the TSX Venture Exchange, symbol MRO. Revolution Resources Corp. is a publicly trading exploration company that trades under the symbol RV on the TSX Exchange. Led by an experienced management team with a track record for discoveries, Revolution has initiated drilling on the company's newly acquired Champion Hills Gold Project in North Carolina. Revolution is focused on making a world-class discovery in an established gold belt, and with over $5 million in the treasury, Revolution is effectively positioned to do so. Please visit
6: www.revolutionresourcescorp.com for further information. As regular listeners to this show know, I am very bullish on gold, and especially gold mining stocks. One of my favorite gold mining companies is Metanor Resources, traded Toronto and the Pink Sheets. This is a new gold producer. It is using cash flows from its Berry mine in Quebec to finance growth of that mine and to put the world-famous Quebec Bachelor Lake mine back into production. This stock has been recommended by my newsletter because I do believe it holds extraordinary upside price potential with relatively low levels of risk. Visit Metanor's website at Metanor.ca or subscribe to my newsletter for more information.
7: Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity.
10: Pass by. The business community's first choice in internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network.
2: Try not to try too hard. It's just the love
3: Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Text. Stocks at www.MiningStocks.com. Now, back to our program.
4: Come back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Again, I want to thank each of you for listening to this show. I want to thank our sponsors for making this show financially viable. They are, for the second hour, Barkerville Gold, Crocodile Gold, Coral Gold, North Atlantic Resources, Adventure Gold, Brigas Gold Corp, Gold Bullion Development, gold and minerals and our resources. We're back here with Frank Holmes after the break and Frank uh, has another few minutes before he has to race off to the airport and catch a flight to somewhere. Uh Frank, we were talking at the break a little bit about uh regulation and you said we need to have uh we need to unclog the arteries of our of our economic system if we might use a uh a medical metaphor. Uh, could you expand on that a little more? Sure. Uh, they found that um, uh, being able to
11: export technology, uh, high-end technology, uh, was caught up with the same paperwork and bureaucracy as uh, product being bought in, brought into the, company, into the country. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, therefore, that cycle made it non-competitive for Europeans to be able to sell products to the Chinese. Uh, or it doesn't matter what the product is. Is it. thinking thinking these things through with a sort of an engineer's mindset of best practices, so that the output focusing on the consequences of a total output of creating jobs, and then working backwards rather than saying just looking at okay, well this is a problem. We're just going to write a rule that has to do with this band-aid on this problem, not realizing the law of unexpected consequences. In a classic to me, Jay, is looking back over 400 years' history, is looking at history, there's been 47 credit crises, currency crises. Mm -hmm. And there's a common pattern amongst them. One is financial innovation. Two is copying groupthink. Everyone likes the – when derivatives first came out, everyone starts copying them. Third is the kiss of death, and that is leverage. So, this is, you don't need to have, you know, a thousand new regulators to manage leverage. You yep. just tell the banks, you can't be this much leverage, brokers. So, if you go back and look at the brokerage business, uh, you know, in 2003, all of a sudden they could leverage their balance sheets. And uh, Lehman Brothers, they went to 33 to 1 leverage. Mm-hmm. That means that 3% volatility, and they're wiped out. How many people knew that Fannie Mae was leveraged 80 to 1? Mm-hmm. And then they let Main Street America buy homes with 99 to 1 leverage, mm-hmm. so basically 100% leverage. And, and if you look at every crisis, currency crisis that's come in, that's taken place, it's always leverage, And that is easy to manage uh, in the marketplace. So I think that that's a, a way of looking at things from a quality point of view uh, over just hiring more and more bodies that are not out there really creating jobs of redoing the roads. How will, Let's redo L.A.'s airport. Let's build a new LaGuardia. Let's build a uh, great way to create jobs. How about a speed rail from New York City down to Florida uh, that goes um, 300 miles an hour like they have in China? Uh, you know, why don't we think of that as a process to create jobs and I think that that, that would be uh, a different thought process. And uh, this is what we need to make the country competitive. I love America because it's so special that it just reinvents itself. And uh, we'll see how a lot of the new politicians are, uh, that have been elected, uh, how they deal with fiscal disciplines uh, to manage the economy, that they allow spending has to be, have a high multiple for job creation.
4: Okay, uh, Frank, do you think that, um, uh, so so what about some basic industries like mining? Uh, for example, uh, a company that I've followed that did very well in my newsletter, Remarkle, I think you may know about them, they're going to be creating a lot of new jobs. It seems to me that mining, manufacturing, those are sort of basic wealth-creating jobs that we no longer have in America too much. Uh, do you think there's room for some of that to come back? Sure,
11: and I think it's evolved. Uh, America has the highest standards of the world for for extraction, discovery and extraction of resources. Um, and it's very sensible, clean air and clean water. Uh, and I think that um, this is a great opportunity because otherwise you're going to see copper at $8 a pound mm-hmm. uh, because the rest of the world is growing. They're all embracing the American dream, and that's the movie Slumdog Millionaire was all about. Uh, you too could be a millionaire. Yeah. And, uh, and you, you take a look at the trade that's taking place uh, recently between China and India. I think it was four times what uh, between the U.S. and uh, India after Obama went over. Mm. Uh, and so you're, there, there, there's a need for more infrastructure in many of these countries. I published a couple weeks ago that Shanghai has built more underground subway system in 15 years than New York has built in 100 years or London in 150 years. Wow. And they now have 20-some-odd cities that are basically less than 10 million, and they're all building new subway systems as a means to create jobs and a means to move people around. And uh, so I think that that would be a great program in America, that job creation. And um, as a, another methodology is tunnel building, so not just tunnel building for uh, looking for gold and copper, et cetera. It's also allowing for people to move uh, from one place to the other in a convenient way.
4: But you, uh, you see government taking a key role in this then, Frank, that, that that's what government should be doing with their fiscal policy, is starting to create these major projects uh, that would create wealth and create jobs, create infrastructure that would uh, that perhaps um, you know, make more streamlined highways um, for, our, for our economy? Absolutely. Picks and
11: shovels. Jobs that relate to picks and shovels and with a vision. GFK's uh, uh, vision was to take us to the moon. Uh we have a vision to the premier country of the world to have the best, most modern airports in the world. And when you land in L.A., it's a shocker. You land in, in uh, LaGuardia, you know, it, it's, it needs uh, a massive renovation. And that's going to require
4: government policies to do that and uh, create those jobs. Okay. Well, the main theme, one of the main themes that I hear you talking about frequently, of course, is this, uh, the big changes that we started talking about at the top uh, over the last hour, the major shift of wealth, uh, or let's say increasing global, uh, increasing economic activity in in the lesser developed countries and emerging markets. So uh, we have this middle class that is starting now to have the wherewithal to buy cars and to have higher living standards. Uh, do you see anything that can derail this, Frank? I mean, we had Lehman Brothers, of course, that really caused a shock in the, in the system. Do you see anything like that maybe happening globally that could slow things down for a while?
11: We're not seeing that when we look at the macro, and we, we hear much about the G20 countries. When you look at the E20 countries, the G, and compare the G20, the G20 are 100% leveraged
4: mm-hmm.
12: their
11: economies. The G20 are 20% 20, uh, sorry 25% leveraged. Yeah. So when you travel to places like Colombia, which has been one of the best performing countries in the world in the past couple of years, um, 94% 95% of all cell phones are prepaid every month. Uh, yeah. cash is pro- probably for cars and so you, you don't have a huge leveraged economy uh, whereas 90 some odd percent of all cars in America and Europe have a note against them yeah. So you, you have upside potential, and that's one reason why many banks, etc., are looking for the opportunities to develop a mortgage market, a car lending market in these emerging countries, and if you believe that's going to happen quickly and easily,
4: then you want to be long any metal that's going to build those cars. Yeah, well, and so you can be in in the various funds that you have. Let's talk about some of the funds that you have, Frank. Starting with, uh, well, let's let's uh, you have a China Regional Fund, I believe it is called. The uh, USCOX is the symbol. Correct. And, and talk to us about it, that. What what, uh, what kind of what kind of uh, investments are are in that fund? Are you looking at primary? You looking at, at Chinese companies, or are you looking at U.S. companies with operations in China?
11: We look at it all, Jay. We look at what's going to help the S-curve. Mm-hmm. And um, our analysts have been over there. Every month, we have someone over there uh, coming back, and we run a, a system of teams, and they function both with uh, like explicit knowledge and tacit knowledge. Tacit knowledge is visiting those countries. We have two uh, gentlemen. One is from Shanghai. Uh, went to Fudan University, which is like going to Harvard here in America. The other one's from University of Beijing. Uh, who's an accountant, and uh, so you have two that can talk the language, uh, understand the culture, and then we have uh, Romeo, who's from the Philippines, uh, going back and covering that whole region. So that, that we run a bunch of quant models, and then we go out and visit these companies, and uh, we try to participate in the growth. So the Chinese market this past year, you had to be very selective if you are going to make money in China, mainland China, with the H shares. So what do we do? We found greater opportunities in Indonesia. Mm-hmm. Uh, great, great market, great moves. Uh, Thailand and Malaysia are more difficult to trade, but there's opportunities there. And um, also Korea earlier in the year. And what's interesting is that Thailand this time of the last year had all the negative news, but it's in the top best performing five countries in the world. Mm. so it 's looking for where there 's opportunity where there's even where there 's difficulty um, Thailand has huge government infrastructure spending projects Frank and you have a uh, i 'm sorry go ahead no so it is it 's just looking for those opportunities uh like in america there 's lots of opportunities and uh it 's just going around looking for them, like remarkable. Uh, you mentioned earlier creating right. jobs because they have an organic discovery uh, in a very high unemployed area, um, and that they can bring in, which we have, you know, the best centers for newest technology for bringing on new mines for clean air and clean water. Uh, I think this is very sustainable because we're going to be exporting that gold to China. I mean, the consumption of China gold in, it's, to China
4: has gone from 50 tons to 200 tons in a year. Well, and, we, and you certainly mentioned this in your slideshow. Again, uh, people should really go to your website and, and look over that because there's an awful lot of education there. We're looking at tremendous demand for gold. Let's talk about a couple of your gold funds. you got the Gold and Precious Metals Fund, and you have the World Precious Minerals Fund. What's the difference between those two, Frank? One invests in nothing but producers, gold
11: shares, and the other one will invest 15% into juniors, a space that you've done a wonderful job in your newsletter covering. And uh, so we do invest in uh, uh, – Remarco is one of – we were, I think, the second largest shareholder. And, uh, and that position of that company the CEO at one time, she has a Ph.D. in mineral economics, and she worked at U.S. Global uh, back in the 90s. So knowing the people, knowing their technical competence uh, is an important part in addition to
4: uh, understanding the properties. You have some other very interesting funds as well. Uh, The Global Megatrends Fund, is that really a fund that looks for S-curves, I suppose, to invest in? It does, and and its biggest thesis has been infrastructure spending around the world. And go,
11: go where you make money. And uh, go for those companies, get in the contracts to build out infrastructure, uh, local cement companies. Uh, uh, we participate, like, looking in the Panama Canal $7, $7 billion expansion, looking for uh, quarries that are in that area where you can get uh, 10 times your money in growth opportunities for a small cap uh, in building out that infrastructure. So that's what we look around the world in uh, different countries that can deal with that uh, indirectly. Uh, we own Cummings uh, engines. Why? Because uh, those big uh, tractors and trucks need uh, uh, motors, so it's mm-hmm. Cummings Motors. So they're, they're on a beautiful growth profile, and they meet our criteria, 10% growth in revenue, 20% growth in, in uh, earnings, and a 20% return in capital. So looking at uh, Caterpillar,
4: looking at these companies, is another way to participate in this global build-up. Frank, as we end the year here, we're, people are starting to think about taxes. You have a couple of tax-free funds. One is called just a which is the tax-free fund. The other one is a near-term tax-free fund. Could you talk to us about those funds briefly?
11: Well, when you step on the yield curve, near-term is uh, where I have a lot of money, so it's very low NED movement, tax-free, all highly rated paper, uh, very diversified uh, and this is think a four star with Morning Star. But it it uh it's a two dollar NAV so it doesn't move much. Uh you don't get huge volatility with it and you get a yield that's substantially higher uh than a money market fund. And uh, I think it's a lot less risk than buying something that's a long-term bond fund. So I think that that's a, a prudent way to diversify. Roger Gibson said that 25% of your portfolio should be into uh, fixed income of some form, and the other 25% international, 25% of resources, and 25% in domestic equity, and you rebalance each year. And I think that for your listeners, Jay, this is a very simple uh, uh, model that he had going back to 1971 when gold became free trading. Mm-hmm. If you put a dollar into Goldman Sachs uh, commodity index today, that dollar's worth thirty-two dollars. Wow! If you put a dollar into the S and P five hundred, it's worth thirty-five dollars. Uh-huh. It's worth more. But had you put fifty cents into each and rebalanced each year,
12: uh-huh.
11: it's worth fifty-two dollars, fifty percent more with less volatility. That's incredible. Yeah, uh, so so that's why people want to be diversified and have some exposure to resources. Not all your money's in there, but it's just part of a discipline like you have in fixed income and you have domestic equity stocks, and and then you try to rebalance each year to capture
4: that volatility and those opportunities. Well, Frank, I I want to thank you very much. We are out of time. I know you've got to catch a flight uh, somewhere, probably. uh, We won't ask you where, but I'm... Maybe you're coming to New York to be on CNBC or something. I don't know, but anyway, good luck to you. Best wishes. Uh, Merry Christmas and a happy New Year's to you, uh, folks. Uh, again, from San Antonio, uh, Feliz Navidad. Uh, yeah, exactly, and I hope uh, again your website, Frank, so people can go there to pick up your uh, the slideshow we talked about and a lot of other information. It is US Global. Tell us what it is. Good. Okay. All right, folks, uh, I'll be right back. Uh, just uh, the other side of the break, uh, I'm going to be flying solo with you. If you've got questions, feel free to call in. Uh, you can call in 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. will be right back after the break. Don't go away.
8: American Bonanza Gold's project, located in Arizona, is scheduled for production in 2010. American Bonanza Gold announced the positive results of its recent feasibility study at its 100% owned Copperstone Gold Mine. The mine is estimated to produce an average of 45,000 ounces of gold annually. At the current spot gold price, this will result in an IRR of 120%. Join the gold bull market. Invest in American Bonanza Gold. Visit the website at AmericanBonanza.com for more exciting information. Don't miss this great opportunity
1: the high risk, but high reward business of mineral exploration is key to discovery and development of America's next generation of mines. A leader in this search is Millrock Resources. Based in Anchorage, Millrock is revealing the astounding potential for gold deposits in the Alaska frontier. In Arizona, the target is giant, hidden porphyry copper deposits. Financing this search are joint venture partners Peck, Ballet, Inmet, Kinross, and Altius, major industry players. Together, the aim is discovering world-class gold and copper deposits to help secure America's productive future. Investors can share in the potential rewards. Rock trades on the TSX Venture Exchange, symbol MRO.
6: As regular listeners to this show know, I am very bullish on gold, and especially gold mining stocks. One of my favorite gold mining companies is Metanor Resources, traded Toronto and the Pink Sheets. This is a new gold producer. It is using cash flows from its berry mine in Quebec to finance growth of that mine and to put the world-famous Quebec Bachelor Lake mine back into production. This stock has been recommended by my newsletter because I do believe it holds extraordinary upside price potential with relatively low levels of risk. Visit Metanor's website at metanor.ca or subscribe to my newsletter for more information.
8: American Bonanza Gold's project, located in Arizona, is scheduled for production in 2010. American Bonanza Gold announced the positive results of its recent feasibility study at its 100% owned Copperstone Gold Mine. The mine is estimated to produce an average of 45,000 ounces of gold annually. At the current spot gold price, this will result in an IRR of 120%. Join the gold bull market. Invest in American Bonanza Gold. Visit the website at AmericanBonanza.com for more exciting information. Don't miss this great opportunity.
1: Revolution Resources Corp. is a publicly trading exploration company that trades under the symbol RV on the TSX Exchange. Led by an experienced management team with a track record for discoveries, Revolution has initiated drilling on the company's newly acquired Champion Hills Gold Project in North Carolina. Revolution is focused on making a world-class discovery in an established gold belt, and with over $5 million in the treasury, Revolution is effectively positioned to do so. Please visit www.revolutionresourcescorp.com for further information.
10: America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
2: Try not to try too hard. It's just a lovely ride. You're listening to
3: Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech. Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now back to our program.
4: Welcome back to turning hard times into good times. Well, I was kind of uh, expecting Frank Holmes to be with me for another few minutes. He uh, had to leave, however, to catch a flight. Uh, Frank is uh, a very interesting fellow who I've learned to know over the years. And uh, he told me uh, in parting during the commercial break, actually before he left, that Uh, There's an interesting game to play at his website, uh, at the U.S. Global website, uh, that allows you to match up uh, 20 flags with the G20 uh, countries, uh, and it sounded like a lot of fun. I haven't had time to to check it out, but you might want to do so. Uh, I'm going to give you some of my thoughts here until we have our next guest uh, coming on very shortly. We're supposed to have Scott Waldies, the president and CEO of North Atlantic Resources, a company, I think, looks very interesting. It's not one yet that I've added to my newsletter, but I think it's one that I could add Uh, in the near future. I'm going to listen to what Scott has to say, Uh, and they have operations in uh, in Mali. Uh, Also, some um, uranium plays, I think, a uranium exploration play or two, and some oil and gas. So we're going to hear from uh, from uh, Scott Walde, uh, hopefully in another five minutes or so. Well, anyway, the big question on my mind, uh, and has been all throughout uh, the last number of years, is whether or not we are facing a major inflationary or deflationary problem. And I don't buy the notion uh, necessarily, although I think maybe uh, Frank Holmes might, that uh, that we're going to have easy sledding going forward, that times are going to be uh, that that we 're not going to have that, that we are going to have some major challenges in the future is what I believe, and the reason I believe that is because the enormous amount of debt that 's been loaded onto the uh, onto the balance sheets of American corporations and the u s government and the West in general Frank had mentioned that that the g seven countries are one hundred percent leveraged almost every country in the g seven uh, is, is seriously over levered. Uh, Germany is maybe an exception to that, but almost every other country is in big trouble. Sovereign uh, risk uh, is an issue. Even the United States may be uh, facing a downgrade in its debt issuance uh, following the recent tax uh, legislation that was uh, just passed. So, how does this play out is the big question. And I put together something called my Inflation Deflation Watch that was uh, aimed at trying to determine uh, how the market is really playing out. Not how I think it should, but how is it really playing out? Well, certainly it has been uh, expanding. The market has, uh, that is, prices have been expanding. We're seeing more inflation, not less. We had a, a deflationary scare, for sure, following the Lehman Brothers' decline. We saw a major uh, major price drop. In fact, my inflation-deflation watch actually did record a negative 4 or 5% uh, inflation, uh, a price uh, decline across the boards following the Lehman Brothers uh, debacle. So, in the meantime, though, of course, the uh, the the conventional wisdom of the day is to print money, deficit spend, and I think you heard a lot of the conventional wisdom from Frank Holmes, probably more than you hear from most of our guests. Uh, Frank is a pretty mainstream character, after all, uh, working with some rather influential people, and so. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not surprised. I, I take Frank's views very seriously, and I think they're good views. You know, if you're always going to be uh, sitting on the edge, uh, sometimes uh, it's better to, uh, to to view things not necessarily so radically as you might, uh, as I might be inclined to do. So I like to have people that sort of bring us back to the center at times uh, and can uh, give us an idea of, well, how should we invest if the world doesn't come to an end? And uh, so, because most of the time it doesn't. So uh, uh it, I would invite anybody that has questions to call in now if you want to. Uh, the toll-free number is 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790. In any event, uh, I understand that um, we have Scott Walde with us now, and so I'm going to, um, let's see, does, Scott, are you there? I'm here. Oh Scott, tremendous. I'm glad you I'm glad you could join us. Uh we had Frank Holmes with us and Frank had to leave a little early. Uh so uh I was flying solo here without without too much to talk about. Uh so it's really good to have you. Um, let me just uh, introduce your company, um, North Atlantic Resources. Uh it's uh re- really you've had a great day. I see your stock price was up a lot. You're about 48 million shares uh you trade under the symbol NAC in Toronto in the over the counter market down here in the US it's N O A T F, if I have that correct. Uh you've yep. got a market cap of about thirty two million dollars and uh you're you're really involved in uh in Mali and West Africa for the most part. So I'd like to start off though, Scott, uh by welcoming you to our show. Thanks very much for the opportunity to speak to an audience. And you've been uh you've you've been pretty much over in Mali, I think, most of the time recently and uh not that easy to talk to. You just you just come back onto the North American continent recently, I believe?
13: I just got back on Thursday evening.
4: So, let me ask you have you any idea? The stock was uh, moving very nicely today in a market that wasn't all that that um, bullish for gold shares. At least when I checked earlier, it was sort of a mixed bag for my portfolio. You were up about 20 25% earlier today, up 11 cents to 60. Six cents or something like that. Any idea what's going on? Is there some news that might account for the big run?
13: No, there's no news that I'm uh, that I'm aware of at the, at, the, at the present time. Nothing out there. I'm, I'm embarrassed to say that uh, just getting back from Africa, I've been out with my wife doing a bit of Christmas shopping, and uh, and I wasn't even aware that the stock had had climbed up like that today. Oh well, it was so it was off eleven cents
4: earlier to sixty six cents at least uh, if I. If my eyes were not deceiving me, so uh, you 've had a nice move and and it could very well be you know i i I am not one that believes in the efficient market theory, uh, certainly for smaller mining companies and uh, smaller like small cap companies because uh, information doesn 't flow freely uh, You come on this show, and a lot of people are going to hear about it. Uh, about your story uh, that would not otherwise know about it, and if there 's one or two major investors that decide this is really an exciting story, they could move your stock very significantly, unlike some of the major you know companies with with multi billion dollar market caps that trade on the New York stock exchange well anyway uh, whatever it is let 's let 's see if we can try to figure out what some people might be seeing in your company that might have caused them to go out and buy the stock. I might mention, though, as I recall, looking at your trading today, that it was relatively relatively low volume. So it wasn't I, I, as if, you, you know, know, a I, major... I, I, do,
13: I do think that that that's right, that it's relatively low volume. That the stock's fairly tightly held by some motivated shareholders, and and I think even a little bit of news, I, I know that some, a number of shareholders will know that I've been come, I'm planning to come on the air here today, so that <laughs> might uh, have something to do with it as well.
4: Well, let me ask you if we're talking about the uh the tightness of the shares, there's 48 million shares. Does management own a good chunk of that or insiders?
13: Management owns a, a good chunk, about 10%. It's, it's uh I wish I owned more than I do, but uh but that's uh, the state of the nation and we do have some motivated directors and and uh and
4: insiders. Okay. To me it's very important uh we had Frank Holmes on as I mentioned and Frank was talking about his company how the uh, the people that work in the company own a big share of the of the company. To me, to have skin in the game is very important. Your your interests then are aligned with those of the shareholders, and so a uh, 10% uh, is a nice stake in the company. I would I would say. Um, well, let's let's get into Mali now. Uh, you are uh, you you've made four discoveries, I understand, or at least four gold discoveries in Mali over the years. Uh, maybe more recently, um, actually. Well, Could you? you- you, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, you go ahead. What were you going to say?
13: Yeah, we, we have made four discoveries.
4: We're holding on
13: uh, to two of them at the present time. Two turned out to be not uh, as significant as those that we we held on to, and through uh, the downturn and the recession and the credit crisis, that, uh, we had to let some things go. But, yeah, we have two significant discoveries
4: on the books right now. Okay, well, let's let's talk about uh, what might be your flagship discovery. Would that be the FT project?
13: That's the FT project in in southern Mali, and uh, geologically and and stratigraphically, it, it it's a it's a look-alike or an analog for the Marilla deposit that was mined by uh, Anglo Gold and Rand Gold. It was the really the deposit that that. Uh, that gave Randgold their their start in, in the gold mining world, so it's been a, a business case uh, great success for them and it was the kind of po- deposit that's returned capital to put the mine into production within less than a year. Mm. Uh, yeah the first uh, the first two years
12: uh,
13: cash cost for mining that deposit were under two hundred dollars Wow ounce. so it was a very successful deposit but it's on its last legs. And, and one of the things that, that took North Atlantic up to the $100 million market capitalization in 2006 and six seven was the recognition by the market that we had something similar.
4: Oh, interesting. And that is the FT project, you're talking
13: That is the FT project.
4: Now, you have a current resource on that, a National Instrument 4311 resource, I believe, if, if that's the case, and could you tell our listeners what it is?
13: Yeah, that's a, that's 600,000 ounces at a gram at this point in time. We finished a drill program, a 6,000-meter drill program, in early 2010 that infilled uh, two large gaps in the resource estimate and tested the strike extensions of the deposit. Now, we were successful in infilling the deposit, and our, our in-house non-43101 estimate has climbed up over a million ounces, but... It's not a big enough change for us to, to release a new forty three one oh one, 101 but it is a significant enough addition for us to continue to explore in that neighborhood because we know that these things get bigger. They don't get smaller.
4: Okay. Are we talking about a surface deposit right on surface or close to the surface, this one that, gram?
13: That's correct. We're, we're from surface down to about 150 meters and so it's you, within the open pitable uh, range.
4: Okay, so you know something about the strike length of the of the mineral bearing zone or vein, yep. or is it a vein system? Or how would you characterize it? It's, it?
13: At present time, we describe it as a, as a wide, up to a hundred meter wide shear zone um, with silica and biotite and sulfide alteration. It's it's a complex structure, and we're just starting to unravel some of the more complex details in that deposit. That's pointing to. Uh, uh, for, for us, it's it's, com- it's pointing towards a, a great, a much greater potential in the area.
4: Okay, we're talking 100 meters wide. You mentioned the strike length. What do you see there?
13: Well, the deposit now occupies about 2.4 kilometers in strike length, and the, the, the strike to the northwest we know goes on, goes on with uh, geochemical anomalies and some scattered uh, strike extension drilling for over another kilometer and a half.
4: Okay, let me ask you then the six hundred thousand ounces that have been in the that are in the forty three one oh one, what portion of that strike length um, is that is that comprised of
13: that occupies two point one kilometers
4: well, that is two point one kilometers to what depth has that been drilled and is it open at depth
13: it 's open at depth it 's been drilled down to um, the, for the 43 one purposes, the deepest hole is 150 meters, uh, but we do have holes down over 200 meters that don't uh, uh, comprise part of the estimate.
4: And so still, these things do have in mineralization roots. at that at that depth. Oh yeah. Yeah. So uh, any any sense? I mean, this is sheer speculation. Well, it may not be sheer speculation from a geologist, but any any sense of. Um, of the depth of I mean, these systems, could it could it be a very deep system? I mean, this is speculation, of course, at this stage until you drill it. But what what well, is your I, sense? I,
13: I think I've I put up a in my presentations I put up a to scale comparison of of our property, which is a large property of over 300 and 3, uh, 380 square kilometers. And I compare it to the Kirkham Lake Camp. Mm. Uh, we believe it has those kinds of roots and that kind of potential. Now, geologically, it is a different beast, um, but I think from the economic standpoint, we can see that kind of potential. And gold is is going on and turning their Lulo uh, deposit in Mali into a a significant underground producer. I, I think we're at such an early stage of gold exploration in Western Africa, and in Mali in particular, that we 're only just starting to understand these systems, and that just like south Africa where and, and Ghana where mining began gold mining began over a hundred years ago, mm-hmm. I think we 're going to be here for over a hundred
4: years mm-hmm. well, certainly uh when mining began a hundred years ago you didn 't have the sophisticated uh, geological tools that you have now to, for for setting up and establishing uh, targets you know that, that uh, drill targets that you have now what about the mineralization is there a, is it is it consistent or is it is there a nuggeting effect or is it pretty is it pretty easy to sample and um you know like some... no
5: no
13: gold's always uh always a difficult lady to sample um in this particular deposit, we see uh, free gold occurring mm-hmm. throughout the deposit. It's not in association with sulfides. It's very, very fine free gold.
12: Mm.
13: We'll be drilling some holes um, this winter for metallurgical testing purposes, but we expect to be able to make uh, a preliminary recovery by gravity methods uh, with perhaps the uh, CIL uh, plant if we want to, to bump the recovery levels up to a higher Mm-hmm. higher level. But if we wanted to get a quick and dirty start on this thing, then, then we'd be looking at gravity recovery. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I, my caveat, of course, is that we haven't done the met, met testing, but that's what we see at the present time.
4: Yeah, clearly once you do the metallurgical testing and you will know, have a better idea of how much is free milling gold, what you could separate with gravity, and what you might have to use uh, yeah. some other methods for. And but We, and we and have you're,
13: done you're extensive petrographic work, and we, we don't see anything but free gold in this.
4: And you expect to come out with, um, with metallurgical studies in 2011, uh, first half of the year, or when?
13: No, it would, first, uh, first half of the year, I would expect. Okay. Possibly uh, third
4: quarter. Let me ask you about uh, infrastructure there in where you are. What is it like? Do you have access, easy access to the roads? you got water, you got power. Uh, or those are those going to be costs that are going to have to be built in if you have a viable project?
13: We have access to water if we want to put a uh, deposit in. There's uh, some significant river systems nearby. Um, Hydro would be diesel-generated. We'd have to make our own hydro. Mm -hmm. In terms of access or road access, we're about a three-hour drive from the capital city, Bamako. Mm
12: -hmm. We
13: We fly into Bamako. Our office is not far from the airport, and we can hop in our pickup trucks and be down there for supper on the same day.
4: What can you tell our listeners uh, who may not be familiar with Mali about the political risks that might be inherent in that country?
13: Well, Mali is a country about the size of uh, on the province of Ontario in Canada. It has a population of approximately 11 million people. The, city, the capital city of Bamako has 2 million uh it is a vibrant exciting city with all kinds of commerce and activity and, and buildings being built it's uh it's it's a very lively city the stores are full of goods the streets are full of goods for sale um and Mali itself is about a hundred percent well ninety eight percent muslim uh muslim religion so mm-hmm. it it is there is no none of that that conflict that religious mm-hmm. conflict that often that we often see in parts of Africa between mm-hmm. christian and muslim uh, sections it's entirely muslim they are a proud people they've had three uh, peaceful transfers of power under democratic election and it's been for us uh, a seamless uh, place to work and the business case histories are uh, are as good as any in the world
12: mhm
4: uh, what so uh, that's your first project the FT project you said you have a second one that you have held on to uh, during the difficult times post Lehman Brothers 2008 talk to us about the second project
13: The Cantella project is located in Western Mali and it is contiguous to the uh, the satiola deposit that's owned by uh, Anglo and Iam Gold and it mm-hmm. is the the deposit that really was the the first the, the maker of of Iam Gold? It gave mm-hmm. them their first start in the business, and this is a large a seventeen million ounce plus deposit, and we're attached on the the mine trend down to the uh, the southeast of them. Uh, we have a non-compliant resource estimate there of one hundred and thirty thousand oh, ounces of gold in in uh, one gram material. Mm-hmm. And we haven't really done any exploration on this property since 2004. When we made the discovery holes at, at FT, at, uh, they, were, they were significant holes, uh, plus 2 grams, plus 3 grams over 100-meter lengths, And FT kind of took all our manpower and, and uh, concentration. We've since mined the data over the last three years at, at Cantella and come up with a, a significantly new model. For the uh, for the property, and we're very excited to get back and do some more work. We see uh, we see much more potential there than we had originally thought.
12: Mm-hmm.
13: Now, what we're I have a caveat on that property. We have applied to the to the government to combine uh, several different mining permits into one contiguous permit there um, to solidify our, our holdings. And we're waiting for the, the completion of that application process, but we don't see that as, uh, as a
4: difficulty, just as a, uh, a bureaucratic uh, uh, step that we need to take. Do you have, uh, it's, uh, it seems to me that you may also have some, or at least you had in the past, just uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but do you have some uranium interest as well and some oil and gas interest, or is that something in the past?
13: No, we had, it is in the past. We sold those uranium interests to uh, a subsidiary of Orzone in uh, a company called Brighton Energy and that's something that Ron Little at Orzone Resources is, is putting together. Uh, we sold those entirely. We realized that creating a second wheel in the Republic of Niger was going to be too expensive and, yeah. and time consuming for us, but we do have a 20,000 square kilometer oil and gas permit in the Republic of Mali.
4: Okay, but that's not where you're spending your resources. Your resources are really being focused on those two those two gold projects, I take it.
13: Yes, we intend to to spin that property out to uh, another interest and maintain a small participating interest in the oil and gas property and we're hoping that uh, we'd be able to make some kind of a deal to bring to the market in the next six months
4: okay but now let me ask you in terms of your resources uh... what is you have a pretty aggressive drill programs uh... plan next year for for the ft project i'm assuming and and possibly for your second project as well and is that uh, pretty well funded at this stage or are you going to need to raise some more capital
13: we're completely funded at this stage for over 30,000 meters of drilling. 20,000 meters are earmarked for FT, up to 10,000 meters for uh, the Cantella project. We have funds set aside for other acquisitions, and we have a couple of other properties in the country that we're doing uh, uh, just fairly bootstrap prospecting work on as we bring those along in the pipeline. Um, we're fully funded at the moment, and we have over eight million warrants that are in the money at the present time as well. So, hmm. I don't see us actually coming to market uh, in the immediate future.
4: And the eight million warrants would be exercisable at what price? Uh, what, what is
13: it? Uh, at fifteen and twenty-five cents.
4: Okay, um, bring in well,
13: approximately another four million dollars.
4: Yes, so that so that would take. So you you don't expect to have to go back to the market, I guess, in the next uh, half year or so anyway. Yeah?
13: No, and and just just for clarity, the 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 present issued stock is 56.3 million, fully diluted is 82.3 million.
4: 82.3. Thank you for that. That's uh, very helpful to know that for sure. And again, management does own 10% of the stock, so you guys are are interested in seeing that value retained for sure. Um would, uh, what do you think um, well, what do you think the biggest risk could be for investors that might buy this stock now
13: well i uh, you know i uh, in terms of junior mining i I think we've removed a lot of the risk we 've removed the discovery risk i don 't think we're asking investors to pay a premium at, at this point we're we 're underpinned by a forty three one oh one compliant resource estimate at six hundred thousand ounces that 's not going to get smaller mm-hmm. um, and and we're we're just we're in elephant country, so I don't see a tremendous amount of, of risk of, of downside risk here. I I see a lot of upside risk which is what gets me out of bed every morning.
4: Well that gets you up and, and roaring to go as they say. What? Well that's why I'm
13: happy to, to pop into the bush at at F uh, T at and, and see what the heck's going on and get out with the guys in the field
4: yeah well it's uh it's an exciting time for the for this market for sure I, I call this the the gold bull market of a lifetime i honestly believe and i'm i'm sixty three years of age so i 've been around for a while there's nothing anything like this in my lifetime. i think that the uh, everything is lining up for a prolonged uh from you know from a market perspective uh, a, a bullish view for what you're doing. I just want investors to realize there's no such thing uh, as a riskless investment because i i really hate to see people you know bet the ranch on anyone on any one company but you know i from what i hear here and what i see here given your very low market cap it would seem to me you have an awful lot of upside potential from this level uh from this share price level uh, even after today's nice rise what do you think uh is there anything else you think our listeners should hear before we conclude our discussion for this time
13: Well, I think we've demonstrated the ability to discover gold. I think one thing that we haven't touched on really is the the human element. The company in Mali is almost exclusively populated by Malian nationals, geologists and technicians who came up through the ranks when the country was establishing their baseline geochemical surveys to bring in um, North American or Western companies to explore for minerals and most of this team got picked up by a, a, a large international mining company, and they spent many years in, their, in that company's employ um, being trained up to Western standards and introduced to exploration all over the world. So these guys um, can hold their head up and, and are second to none in the exploration uh, business, and, and their
4: field, the field execution is flawless. Well, that's really good to know because I think it's very important to employ local people clearly for the good relationships that are required to keep things moving smoothly. I want to thank you very much for being with us. We'll look forward to having you on again sometime in the near future to talk about what I think is a very exciting company. I'm going to take a good look at this company for possible inclusion in my own newsletter. Folks, don't go away. I'm going to be right back with my partner, Roger Wiegand, for some closing thoughts on the markets. Don't go away. we will be right back.
6: As regular listeners to this show know, I am very bullish on gold and especially gold mining stocks. One of my favorite gold mining companies is Metanor Resources, traded Toronto and the Pink Sheets. This is a new gold producer. It is using cash flows from its berry mine in Quebec to finance growth of that mine and to put the world famous Quebec Bachelor Lake mine back into production. This stock has been recommended by my newsletter because I do believe it holds extraordinary upside price potential with relatively low levels of risk. Visit Metanor's website at Metanor.ca or subscribe to my newsletter for more information.
7: Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more
1: information. Don't let this snappy Opportunity pass by. Revolution Resources Corp. is a publicly trading exploration company that trades under the symbol RV on the TSX Exchange. Led by an experienced management team with a track record for discoveries, Revolution has initiated drilling on the company's newly acquired Champion Hills Gold Project in North Carolina. Revolution is focused on making a world-class discovery in an established gold belt, and with over $5 million in the treasury, Revolution is effectively positioned to do so. Please visit www.revolutionresourcescorp.com for further information.
2: Try not to try too hard, it's just a love.
3: stocks at www.miningstocks.com now back to our program
4: welcome back to turning hard times into the good times i am your host jay taylor and i'm really pleased to have my partner uh, roger wiegand uh, who writes uh, trader tracks roger welcome
0: thanks thanks jay good to be here
4: good to have you uh you're on the west coast i'm on the east coast but we can talk uh, just as if you were next door to me uh, Roger, last year, uh, how did you make out? How have, how have your uh, subscribers made out? How have you made out in your with your investments?
0: Well, mine was pretty easy. Since I'm a futures trader and a technical analyst, uh, my focus was primarily on gold, silver, and grain. Uh, we were trading spreads mostly to the long side uh, for the appropriate months and times. And uh, for the third year in a row, with the exception of... Uh, The Lehman event, when everybody got hammered, I broke even that year. The other two years, I'm up over 100%. I'm up over 100% on those trades this year. About 20% of our subscribers uh, do trade futures, and they trade on an auto trade system using my broker, so that when I recommend a trade and uh, my broker and I huddle and we find the appropriate entry price and spot and date, uh, I, I put out an alert. And it comes out of your New York office and goes out to all our readers. And then, if they're on the auto trade, they're automatically pr- uh, placed in the order by the broker per uh, directions and, and uh, a setup prior to. So, that has worked out very well. Uh, the other 80% of the people at Read Trader Tracks are primarily involved in shares. And obviously, those are gold and silver, some are in energy. Uh, Some are ETFs, and also some of them have to do with certain commodities like sugar. And uh, it depends on what time you got in and uh, the appropriate amount of investment you made in each one of these. But generally throughout, we've had a pretty good year. The focus this past year for 2010 has been mostly on intermediate and junior silver companies that have done the very best of all. Some of our intermediates have done exceedingly well. Uh, we've got one gold company that uh, has done between 2 and 600% about three times. They're still open in our letter. We've got two or three uh, juniors in that category. Uh, the advantage in having done this over a period of time, and you know this better than I do because you've been at it so many years, is that you watch these companies, you watch the behavior of the price of the shares in the ups and downs and cycles, and you can see which ones can really speed ahead first, when a new rally does begin. So those kinds of things are helpful. That plus the fact that we do technical analysis, uh, I think that, that helps us to enter at an appropriate time and also some access to try to dodge some, some sell-offs.
4: All right, Roger, we got about one minute left. Can you tell us what you like going forward into 2011? Where do you think the best, the best money is going to be made in
0: 2011? Uh, Silver is probably going to do better than gold, but gold is going to do exceedingly well. We'll continue to do our future spreads in gold, uh, uh, silver, and grain as we did, probably with some sugar and, and cotton as well. But there's great opportunity for shareholders who like the junior share market in the miners. Uh, we've got some in our letter now that are in the earliest stages, and we think next year is going to be better than 2010.
4: Well, it could. Uh, I know that Chen Lin feels the same way. Chen believes that the 2011 will be another expansion year. I remain cautious, though. I I just think that uh, Dr. Robert McHugh and uh, Robert Prechter and others, uh, you know that nobody was expecting, very few people were expecting Lehman Brothers to occur. Uh, The the risk trade continued to expand. We continued to look for more and more profits. I know how I feel when this happens, Roger. I can't find anything I want to sell. I just want to keep buying. And you know, I'm feeling that way again, just like I did before Lehman Brothers. Uh, you know, and all of a sudden, wham! We got smacked real hard with this deflationary credit uh, cycle. So I, you know, I remain very cautious. I, I, I feel what you feel. I think you're right, I, but you know, at the same time i'm sort of scared i don't know which way to go uh... exactly so we try to 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 play this thing week by week and that's why i like to talk to people like you and chen who have a feeling for trading because you're more of a trader and more of an investor unfortunately roger that's all the time we've got we've got thirty seconds so i've got a wipe. uh... i got to wind up here this this week uh... folks don't forget to try the uh... the low-cost introductory trials call Chen Lin. Roger's letter, uh, my letter, Chen Lin's uh, letter. Call uh, claudio Basse, I should say, at seven one eight four five seven one four two six, seven one eight four five seven one four two six. Next week, our special guest is going to be Argentine economist Adrian Salbucci. He's been with us before. Adrian will talk to us about the ruling elite's movement towards a one-world government and how they intend for you and me to be their slaves. You won't want to miss. I think it's not necessarily a happy message, but it's one I think it's worth listening to. It's one we want to be aware of in closing i want to thank the staff at voice america for making this uh, pro- this program uh, logistically possible starting with Casey trump my producer ruben colombe operations manager justin jackman my engineer thanks to all of you for making this program logistically possible until next week goodbye and god's blessings to you
3: you again for listening to turning hard times into good times with jay taylor please join us again next tuesday at noon pacific time 3 p.m eastern time on the voice america business channel now the thing
2: about times,
3: the time
2: isn't real